<laughs> Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Hello. We have a very special guest with us today. I wish that everybody could look and see the setup that we currently <laughs> have going because it is one of the wildest that we've recorded in, I'd say. <laughs> Anybody want to describe it? <laughs> or are we just going to let people's we, imaginations run wild? There's three of us on the podcast today. One four-legged friend. My dog is also here. Thank you for bringing my dog a toy, by the way. You are welcome. I really appreciate that. Thank no one's know. ever brought a toy for my dog to oh, one well. of the podcasts before. <laughs> And uh, it's a duck, and the squeaker is dead. So if he does play with it, we'll be good for the audio. And uh, we only have one chair, so and it yep. squeaks. So <laughs> buckle up for this one, everyone. We're talking about, <laughs> and we're sitting in a hallway. <laughs> we're in a hallway. <laughs> the bathroom door is open. We are sharing open. a plastic tub that we're sitting on with the couch cushion on it. It's a good life. It we got a good, good chapter ahead of us. This, so this chapter. <laughs> I have to turn strangely yeah, back to back. I can't look at you. <laughs> don't you don't need to look at I'm me. I'm not able. Not to today. I'm not able to look at you. That's fine. This this chapter was. It surprised me how good it was. I mm-hmm. remembered it being. I remember the dragon tamer being. In my mind, it was a short chapter mm-hmm. where is. not a, where not a lot happened. Where we haven't. The ending comes out of nowhere. It's a kind of staccato, mm-hmm. and that's it. And so when I think about Barristan and Quentin and they're swirling around the Great Pyramid in these last chapters of A Dance of Dragons, I, I of course, the moment of him coming face to face with Rhaegal and Viserion is really important. And of course, he's thinking about a lot of things that I think are sort of either bookending or continuing to transition his story forward. I don't know how you feel about that. But I've never really thought of this chapter as one of the strongest ones because of that. It just kind of felt like one of those that was in there because the action needed to happen. But these these rereads are so useful because they constantly yes. prove me wrong yeah. about how I felt about the book. And I know that when we finished today, Hannah, you finished before me. You were like, this hits. What did you say? <laughs> I didn't say any. Oh, I started to say something and you said, stop talking and say it for the podcast. <laughs> That's not true. You said... <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you felt about it. Then you basically went into your thesis about it. I, what? Okay, so what you the you have the moment, the platform. I'm turning around my full body to see you. Tell us, <laughs> tell us what I what I stopped you from sharing before. Well, I finished this chapter. I think the momentum builds really well in this chapter, mm-hmm. and it almost feels like you're watching a movie scene play out, which I think is really fun. Right. I think that a lot of chapters in A Song of Ice and Fire are very thematic and have a lot of like beautiful descriptions and all that kind of stuff, but I just felt like the momentum in particular here, understanding what it was leading to, I was reading this chapter like I read my first read-through for plot, just because... I was excited as how things were going instead of in our typical way where I kind of tried to slow the pace and kind of take in the experience because I felt like this was, I just, I loved the momentum of it, of it all. So that's what I wanted to tell you. Okay. That was worth, that was worth, that was worth hearing. (laughs) (laughs) So can I ask you why um, you wanted to, to do dragon tamer with us out of all the chapters i i mm. i hit you up like uh, a few months ago right, I was right. Like, we have these many chapters left with feast right. of dragons you haven't been on the podcast in a year mm-hmm. um and the last time you were on we talked about martin world in general right and not a specific chapter episode so we were mm-hmm. really excited to get you on for one of these what made you out of all of them that you could have chosen you gave me two options john getting stabbed which i feel like is really obvious <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, and the Dragon Tamer. Why did you pick that? Um, well, it's well a little bit because of what Hannah just mentioned. It's almost like you're watching a movie. There's a slow build of tension, and then it like just bursts mm-hmm. literally at the end. Um, and even though it's a shorter chapter, like you mentioned earlier, it is a very pivotal turning point for a lot of characters and a lot of arcs that are not in this chapter um, for Ariane, for um, the Martells over in Dorne, for the Tattered Prince, even for Daenerys. So this is um, Quentin is he's Quentin's basically thrown in there as, as a sacrifice for all of these other people and their political machinations right now. And it's, it's all about war and yes. Oh yes. I'm going to mention it. I'll try not to go overboard with it, but rereading this um, chapter the last week or so um, and coming off my live stream um, from last weekend, Mm -hmm. this chapter in Sand Kings, the story Sand Kings, go like hook and hook with each other. Really? Yes. Oh, yes. Big time. And then um, there's even elements of In Seven Times Never Kill Man in here. And night flyers, which I'm going to do in another couple of weeks. So it's um, interesting for me that George has picked these certain elements from other stories to cram into this chapter because it is it's a short chapter, but it's a very pivotal chapter, mm-hmm. mostly for other people. Mm-hmm. Whoa, the, uh, the him being sacrificed on the altar of everyone else's story becoming varied and entertaining and interesting in a way that only comes from something random and unexpected occurring in the universe is mm-hmm. is such a it's so dark when well, you think about how earnest he's been this whole time exactly especially i can't especially <laughs> because he sees himself as the hero and the guy the whole time and that this is his destiny and right. that nobody has ever been as perfect for this job as he is and he's the one who's gonna sacrifice and he save he is and- Dorn exactly he says that. Yeah, I they am don't Dorn. understand exactly <laughs> they just don't yet he is as you said just kind of at the altar for everybody else's who's not no one's even here right. but for all yeah. of their other plots and this is the unraveling kind of of the grand Dornish plan is kind of, you know, um, headed in so many different directions based off of, I mean, well, we can talk about this. Should we talk about this now or later? Let's talk about everything. Let's get it all out. (laughs) Well, so Quentin's, is he dead or alive? I feel like, because I feel like how you feel about that theory and that whole conversation then paints a different picture when it comes to how we talk about this chapter. Because if you see him as dead, 100%, that's the end of him and his story and other people kind of pick up pick up the plot. Or do we see him as we didn't actually see him die? So does that mean that we can assume that potentially he's still out there and what role he may play in the future because of that? I feel like how we feel about that might change the way we talk about the chapter. I'm going to read the the end of the chapter. And then we can decide from there if we think that he's dead or not, okay. based off of okay. George's description. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> <clears throat> the pale head rose. The great gold eyes narrowed. Wisps of smoke spiraled upward from the dragon's nostrils. Down, the prince commanded. You must not let him smell your fear. Down. 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 He brought the whip around and laid a lash across the dragon's face. Viserion hissed. 
And then a hot wind buffeted him, and he heard the sound of leathern wings, and the air was full of ash and cinders, and a monstrous roar went echoing off the scorched and blackened bricks. This would be a good time for you to roar strike. Maybe just try to take his toy away. (laughs) And he could hear his friend shouting wildly. Garrus was calling out his name over and over. And the big man was bellowing, behind you, behind you, behind you. Quentin turned and threw his left arm across his face to shield his eyes from the furnace wind. Ragel, he reminded himself. The green one is Ragel. When he raised his whip, he saw that the lash was burning. His hand as well. All of him. All of him was burning. Oh, he thought. Then he began to scream. (laughs) Oh, he thought. That is such a huge, like, that response is so good after all of the momentum of, we get from the very beginning of this chapter, him holding his hand over the candle Mm -hmm. to kind of test what that's going to feel like. Mm -hmm. And then the oh and he's screaming so so does anyone have an opinion on whether or not he's dead what do you got (laughs) leech has raised her hand (laughs) you at the the very end of this table (laughs) um i i know that um there is the popular popular idea that he's alive i think he's dead because the plot needs him to be dead and um and this, and I'm so glad you started exactly right where you did. That was like serendipitous there because um, George and Night Flyers writes the death of somebody almost exactly the same really? way as okay. Quentin. Do you have it quoted? I do. Can we get it? I yes. It's kind. It's a little bit long. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. Get yeah. Right, get, get up there on that mic. Okay. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it's Alice Northwind and Lommy Thorn that are. They have gone down essentially into the pit of the Night Flyers is a, a ship. It's a dragon ship. It doesn't actually say dragon ship, but it's three eggs. It has a, a mall. It has nuclear engines. It's all of the same things that George has described um, the dragons in and out of the books. Um, so it's and there's a, a ton more, but I'm not going to go into that right now. So basically, they go down into this pit. Um, you can say the belly of the beast, even. Okay. They're out in space. And so, you know, you just have to flip flop, you know, fire dragon for ice dragon because of the, the temperature difference. But Lamy Thorn is attempting to override the system to get in there and take control of the ship, to get in there and take control of these dragons. And it starts off What are you doing? Watch, she said. She slid her arm under the console, found the prongs, and jacked in. Ah, she said, low in her throat. The flashing red blocks vanished from her readout screens, one after another, as she sent her mind mind coursing into the night flyer system, easing through all the blocks. Nothing like slipping past another system security, like slipping onto a man. There's a diff- That's also referenced earlier in this Quentin chapter. And then... Um, It goes on, she says, uh, then she stiffened. Oh, she said. It was almost a whimper. Cold, she said. She shook her head and it was gone. But there was a sound in her ears, a terrible whooping sound. Damn, she said. That'll wake everyone. She glanced up when she felt Alice's fingers digging painfully into her shoulder, squeezing and hurting. The gray steel panel slid open almost silently. That's the dragon's mouth at this point. Um. The gray steel panel slid almost silently across the access to the corridor, cutting off the whooping cry of the alarm. 
So, you know, again, there was essentially an alarm that was um, set when Quentin goes down into the pits. You know, the other guys come in with their spears. That's kind of what's happening here. What, Lamine Thorne said, that's an emergency air seal, said Alice Northwind in a dead voice. She knew starships. It closes where they're about to load or unload cargo in the vacuum. And when Quentin's going into the pyramid, he even says that these are the slave doors where they used to go in and out of. Um, Their eyes went to the huge curving outer airlock above their heads. The inner lock was almost completely open as they watched it click into place. And the seal on the outer door cracked. And now it was open half a meter sliding and beyond was twisted nothingness. So burning bright, it seared the eyes. Oh, said Lamy Thorne, as the cold coursed up her arm, she had stopped whistling. Whoa. That's literally <laughs> word for word, almost. Right. It's like Lamy takes this cord and she jacks it into her system. She has this, like, plug-in in her arm. Quentin has this oiled-up whip um, that he's holding, and that's where the fire starts to go up his arm. Right. So, and that had to happen because you had to re- essentially release the dragons. So Quentin dying um, furthered other people's plots, mm-hmm. um, but it also released the two dragons that were in this pit and they weren't growing properly. Right. So their dragons are now out in the wild or released. You know, they're not contained. Um, so now they can grow nice and big. So when Danny returns, she'll have three big dragons and – I have a feeling Tattered Prince's big cog that can hold two, dra- at least two dragons is what he says, that Danny will take that at some point when she goes sailing off. And that'll be like the resting spot for the dragons so they're not like flying all the time. Got <laughs> <laughs> it. All from the end of the chapter, you got that. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's the podcast that was yeah. the end. Thanks, Kitty, <laughs> <Kidding, laughs> for listening. I'm kidding. And- <laughs> I'm kidding. But what does he feel? What are, what are his feelings? Right. So that's – but that is not – anything I say is not set in stone. That's just why I feel this way. Totally. Right. I, I agree with the whole premise, too, as well, is that we – he served his purpose. He needed to do his thing. He's kind of this mini – arc that can represent what George R. R. Martin is trying to do as a whole and then he's gone and mm-hmm. now we're moved on to all these other things right, right I totally agree like I think that he's this is it for him and he's out of the picture I don't see any sort of argument that is interesting enough to me that would bring him back to serve any sort of purpose that actually would matter at this mm-hmm. point um kind of because of all the different things that we've been talking about and so I think the I like the comparison that you made. It's like a little bit more eloquent than I just feel like it's not that way. But um, I just think it's interesting. And this is something that you do all the time. Mm -hmm. And I love to pick your brain just because I think that you have so much interesting stuff in there with all of these comparisons to what George R. Martin has done in his other works. Because, I mean, it reminds me, you're reading that and I'm looking at the dance of dragons page and i'm thinking about in college when i would like copy and paste all my different papers Mm -hmm. to like create my thesis at the end of the day you know (laughs) it's like borrowing paragraphs and things whatever i mean i don't know anything about writing but what i'm trying to say is i think that all those types of comparisons can give us so much more insight and like a different zoomed out perspective of what's happening here because i think it's easy to kind of get lost in the weeds of there's so many things in this knot that we're trying to unravel and being able to kind of 
put different characters in it in a different scenario and this is what happened to them I think really helps bring to light and some clarity to some of the stuff that's going on. So I think that's a great comparison. Yeah. So it's – um, and I like doing it because um, – you know, you hear a lot, well, George would never do this, or George doesn't do that. Or, mm-hmm. So it kind of gives you a little background as information saying, yeah, he kind of does do it like this because mm-hmm. we see it. Because an ending for a quasi-hero like this um, in the story in Seven Times Never Kill Man, spoiler alert, the same type of thing happens the same the same way. Somebody's holding something, they get shot with fire and then blah 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 and yeah so it's it's kind of his thing what's the significance of holding something in in the i guess three scenarios that you've talked about the th- well the the three things at least three things that um these people have died they're all these controlling items you know it's it's the whip um quentin has an oiled whip um that's what cal drogo used um in Danny's pyre uh, with Cal Drogo, that's one of the things that his, for lack of of whatever, his spirit gives to her is he gives her the whip. So it's like the symbolic controlling thing. Mm-hmm. Danny, um, in her chapter right after this, um, she realizes she no longer needs the whip because she has the side link. Mm-hmm. So um, it's and with Lamy, that's how she gets into to. Um, take over the ship to take control. She's trying to take control of the situation with in, in the story in seven times never kill man. Um, the, the guy's name is leave has just left my head, but yeah, he's trying to control the situation as well. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, he has a laser pistol and it's, mm. you know, it, that's just furniture. It doesn't matter if it's a laser pistol or. Right. It's the object. Yeah. So. Are there any other objects outside of these, this chapter that you can sort of remember off the top of your head that can indicate such like a clear message as this does in the story in a song of ice and fire that any other character has access to? I'm trying to, I'm trying to think now because of course it would be so specific mm-hmm. to that. Whatever, either you're copy and pasting from papers and you, you went like, that's a good idea. That's a writing mechanism. Right. There's a, it seems like it's just a thing, but actually deeply meta and humanly specific, this object does link back to a thought and it seems like it's following through of an idea. And so I did it before I could do it again, but is it, I got, I don't know. Is it one of the normal conventions that he uses in the story or is it just one of them? Like are there are other examples of, uh, there being like an object associated with someone's path within all this? There are. Like Jamie's hand, maybe? Yeah, there are. Um, burning hands, um, fiery hands, you know, things like that. They're, that's another one. Um, obvious one being Lightbringer, like a super obvious one. <laughs> right, yeah. The whip is so low-key, though, you know? Right. It's, it's, but it is... When I'm reading the chapter, the description of it and it being the it being thought of a few times, thinking about him needing to be forceful in a way is mm-hmm. what I took away from it mostly right. of him needing to mimic her behavior yes, or yes. him needing to um, show that he's confident and actually be confident enough to make a dragon not lose interest and turn away. Right. So the the whip was just I thought more so. Um, something that had to just be in there and he had to describe it because it's cool to describe oh, gear in armor. Gotcha. But it's, it's more um, than that. Like, cause you're able to pull up an example of mm-hmm. other stuff 
it's weird. It's hidden within it. Mm-hmm. To me, it was less obvious, but I don't know. So I'm going to have to be looking for more examples of that. In there, the yeah, there are. I can't I noted them for today, but um, there, there definitely are. I would say off the top of my head, thinking um, Maris, pretty Maris, which that's a name that he that he got that he's reusing from his story Windhaven that he wrote with um, Lisa Tuttle. And that story is associated with flight as well and with the female being in charge. Um, or at least the the protagonist, the the hero in the end. Um, trying not to spoil too much there. Um, but pretty Maris being the one that Viserion is um, looking at, that he's interested in. And Quentin's like, oh, he's looking for his mother. Quentin's actually... Right. He's he's correct in that. Um that is the that is the a Sand King Maw, essentially. Mm. That's yeah, that's I know. <laughs> Zach just his eyes just made of his eyebrows were just like shrugged he's together. He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> the the all of this is a repurpose of the story Sand Kings and um <sighs> So is, do you respect that? Or do you I think do. It, okay. I do. Because like you just said, you didn't, you know, all of this stuff is going on, yeah. but you, it's so, some of it's so low key yeah. that um, you, you don't have to read these other stories, but if you do, and then you see it in Ice and Fire, you're like, holy crap, this is about to get like huge. And it's hmm. bigger than what it first seems, even though it's a small chapter, it, you know, it, it, a lot of people are affected by it. It just, the stakes were so high. You yeah. Know, the vibe was so high. Everyone needed to do exactly what they were doing right. And his he, he dissociates at the end. Like, what was the character's name in uh, Night Flyers? The girl? Oh, Lami Thorne. The one who, yeah. It, he dissociates like Lami when the bad thing is happening. And mm-hmm. not even just when he gets the, the fire put on him, but just in general, when it all starts crashing down around him, down in the pit. Um, right. So I don't know, it just, because of that, it felt really, it kind of felt really special compared to most of the other ones because we don't ever really get all the way there with him and we don't have that many chapters with him, but he, he gives, he lets us get all the way there in Mm -hmm. his head and how he feels about stuff. And it's just a shame that it's right there at the very end end of it. It seems like he's got to be dead. That's, that's where my thought is with all this. There's no way. Right. I mean, and I think the, the Dorn plot is really going to Again, this goes back to the mall. The mall in Sand Kings is the queen, is the female. And um, that's the one that controls all of the mobiles, all of the little um, um, worker warriors, whatever you want to call them, that go out and fight. Um, And that's going to be Ariane now. So, Mm -hmm. and it's funny because when you compare this Quentin chapter to Ariane's, especially her second. Twell spoiler chapter, they have a lot of the same thoughts in common, and um, Aaron has the mistrust, but um, they both want the fire and blood. They both call for war. That's like Aaron's um, little code word that she writes back home. You know, it's it's either dragons or war, and she writes back war. Um, that she says that she is Dorn. So that's. Um, that's another little connection there. One of my kind of questions at, as we're 
maybe this is har- har- a harder pivot than I was thinking, but I was just kind of, as you're talking about Arianne and her role. You're like, I'm done with Arianne. I don't no, want to no, talk no, about it. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm thinking about her and her role and why Quentin is in this position in the first place. Because I think that's something that really stands out to me in this chapter and all of his chapters is that he just doesn't seem like he just he's so unprepared for what he's facing and he's so over in over his head as he talks about how looking at Daenerys makes him feel like a little child and he's basically like I'm gonna pee my pants this whole time and he feels there's some point in the chapter where he talks about how he feels like he's in a dream Mm -hmm. um I want to find that oh uh hold on let me see I wanted to find what that was. We, oh, he, he's like, he felt lightheaded. None of this seemed quite real. One mm-hmm. moment felt like a game, the next some nightmare, and he kind of goes on. Oof. I think all of us have felt that way in these pseudo-intense situations where it's right. like, is this real or not? Right. But, you know, he just, he, this whole, the way this whole chapter plays out with, like, the cart that they think they're going to be able to hold dragons with, and Quentin is kind of fumbling through everything, trying to be really brave, and we've got Pretty Maris, as you're talking about, mm-hmm. not in disguise, and we have this whole thing going on with <laughs> she's like, the password. Like- <laughs> yeah, she's just hanging out. She's like, I don't it's need a, a disguise, <laughs> right. which is confusing. The whole password thing is dog is used, and then it's not used, and da-da-da-da-da. So what is going on? Why is Quentin in this situation? And as we're talking about, like, the Tattered Prince Mm -hmm. and all these other players, what's the fallout? Like, what's really going on in this chapter? Because to me, it seems like, again, Quentin is just kind of the piece that's being moved around in some other situation while he's being led to believe that he's the guy. And everything just doesn't really add up to me in my brain. He was the only one that knew the way to the dragons, though, out of all of them. Yeah, good job to him. So it's like... It's like he he's not important, quote, in the air, not important. But uh-huh. he's also, like we were talking about earlier, so important to the pivoting of all these other storylines to become varied by the weird randomness of the universe. This is that weird randomness. And now dragons are unleashed. Right. So, yes. that, I mean, it's, it's not just yes. affecting people personally because Dorne and how we're feeling about – our chances of continuing our power because he's out east doing stuff and Arianne's doing things with John Con, and so there's no opportunity left with Quentin, so we need to buckle down with all this. All of that aside, and I guess all of the stuff with the Tattered Prince, it he's kind of safe in this. It doesn't really matter if he tried this or not because he wasn't even actually physically there. The big thing is those dragons being released. Mm-hmm. It's right. got to be. So it's like, yeah, he's, it, it seemed sort of insignificant, but, and and, it, and we talked about it before months ago on the show, how this could be an example of the the hero's journey or his version of a hero's journey ending badly. And that this, <laughs> right. all of this patience that we're uh, forcing ourselves to sit through, mm-hmm. to read these chapters when you're inching toward the end of a book that some people feel like is cloudy and they call it the mirror and he's not because they're like i don't understand it a lot of people think it's boring maybe maybe this is this is part of the reason why because he gets here and we just learned that wamp 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 sometimes it sucks to suck but at the same time that fact being the thing that triggers all that other stuff and unleashes the dragon that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, but that's another thing thinking about is 
this isn't also like George's plotting of that. It's Dorne's big grab, like Duran's quiet, careful refusal to act quickly. This is his very like special calculated response. It's like, this is what you came up with. This was your thing. I don't know. What about it? You think that's boring that this is what he did? No, I don't think it's boring, but it's like you, if this was like your cool, calm, collected, calculated move, right? Why'd you send this guy who thinks he, like, who thinks of himself as a frog who's like never, no disrespect, been with a woman? And he's like, I'm going to woo Daenerys. And he's so wishy washy on like, I'm, this is my duty and I don't want to do this for love, but she's already married. So I need to like woo her and show her how powerful I am. And I want to like, he's just there for all the wrong reasons, right. you know? Ugh. And so. well, and what is it? Garrus at that point, Garrus even like pre burns him. He's like, yeah, your parents married for love and look at that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> look how like- nice that looked out for you. <laughs> so Doran Martell and his Narvashi wife had spent half of their marriage apart and the other half arguing a tale as old as time it was the only rash thing his father had ever done to hear some tell the only time he had followed his heart instead of his head and he had lived to rue it so i guess you can kind of understand why he's being so patient now (laughs) i don't know though i don't like i i just i guess i'm trying to ask what do we think i'm trying to highlight the fact that like what we've been talking about with quentin this whole time which is like i understand his arc in the story of a song of ice and fire i don't understand why he was their big play that's the confusing thing to me so then what's the fallout and and my other question too was like tatter prince involvement why is the situation playing out like it is and does that mean anything and then what's next for dorn i guess i think that we we kind of talked about a little bit what's next for dorn putting more of the chips in arian's basket but i think mm-hmm. it's the same it's the same attitude that he had with with quentin I think it's the what he has with her where it's like eh, this might work. This might work and there's I guess in in the case of this paperwork but mostly it just comes down to people agreeing that we'll act in a certain way until we absolutely cannot act in a certain way anymore. So it's not like I don't think that he ever really believed that Quentin was going to be the thing that came back and position them to be in the same amount of power that they had before or in a new amount of power i just think in general he sits back and uh, lets the trouble sort of come to him and positions himself in a way that in almost any scenario they're going to make it out fine enough and that it's good insurance to have some of these other things rolling on in the background especially when it seems like the kingdom itself is collapsing and people are coming in to usurp even more than the last rebellion could be wrong it just seems like it, it doesn't really care that much. Otherwise, he'd do more and just let his kids do it. Right. Um, that's the Sand Kings thing. I totally really? agree. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, just, you know, as that sort of bouncing off reference point, um, that is something that happens in that story as well. You have all, you have these different colored um, groups of Sand Kings. They each have their maw, or which is the mother or the Misa, um, and one of the colors is orange and the orange ones in the story, and if you, well, they can relate to Dorn is color wise, you know, with, with their sigil, um, with Dorn looking at the old oranges drop, you know, over ripened oranges dropping in the garden. Um, but in Sand Kings, the orange ones sort of 
disappear. You think that they disappear early in the story. And then they come back and literally like start biting you in the ass at the end. Why do they disappear? <laughs> um, Overlooked? No, no. Things escaped. Things. <laughs> like things escaped. I can't say specifically what happened. Okay, got it. Things escaped. Okay. Um, they, the, the, their pit was broken and the different um, colors, the tribes, collections, whatever you want to call them, the different colors of the, the Sand Kings all sort of went out to their own area. And then you just didn't hear about them for a while. And then all of a sudden they come back and it's like, uh, they got is, abs and shit. They're you, like, we've been practicing. You have no, I, you have no, I, oh my God, you have no idea. Um, but yes. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's like the, um, and I, I think it's said for Dorn Martell in there that he's like the, the snake in the grass, you know, mm-hmm. he's like laying low, like you guys were kind of just saying, mm-hmm. he's like laying low until things line up or come to him and then he'll, then he'll strike. He's and, already got Dorn. There's a lot more contesting going on north of Dorne. Yeah, <laughs> Everything he above wants. It. Yeah, he wants. He wants more. Um, it's why he, he's almost like a, a more devious Howland Reed. You know, Howland sent out his two children uh, to. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like it. Like in an opposite parallel way. You know, like Helen sent out his two children to like reaffirm their um, allegiance to. The Starks in the North and all this other stuff where Doran sent his two children out. And um, they're more like the historic in Song of Ice and Fire world, sibling against sibling rivalry at this point. So it's like he's grasping. And because he's grasping, it's all going to fall apart and go to ashes. So. How much do you think that Howland cares about what Jojen and Mira thought they were a part of? And like, how much do you think he was involved in it? I know that we don't know specifically, right, but right. but do you think that it was something that maybe came through Jojen and then he he talked to his dad about it and he he echoed it and agreed with it? Or do you think it's something that was also piped into his brain as well? Well, I think um, it's possible that Howland. Um, you can answer that question too, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> that Howland is already sort of like tapped into this like magical just to use the, the term magic okay. the, and tapped into this magical net somehow. And that it was just Jojen went to him and that was the signal. Yeah. Okay. This is time to go. And not unlike Doran, Doran, but not for the same maniacal reasons. I think he knows that Jojen might not return or that his children might not return, but it's not, for the same, it's not for the same reasons. It's it's to serve a bigger purpose. Where Doran, with the whole fiery element that he has going on, he sent his kids out, knowing they might not return, right. and it's it's because he wants something more. It's a little bit more to the greed that feeds the one as opposed mm. to feeding the many. But they're both content where they are, kind of. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I want to meet that dude. <laughs> Which do Helen yeah. Reed? Oh, oh, Helen! <laughs> you know? Absolutely, For absolutely. Sure, I think 
the fandom's going to throw like this global party. Like the, se- the second his little pointy green toed shoe pops on page, right? it's going to be like global <laughs> disco party. Howland is finally here. That's so cool. It's like all of our collective screams right. going up at the same time. As Did reading. you hear that? Yeah. They turned to page 687. <laughs> Do you think that we're going to get him in wins? Legitimately? I'd like. Too, but I I don't know. I think if we did, it wouldn't be till the very end. Hmm. In my head, I see him as uh, coming in in some kind of a cold hands ish sort of way, but maybe it'll be more instrumental. Well, I think I I think if if he does come in on page and wins, it wouldn't be till later because we have two really big battles and wars to deal with first. Um, and I have a feeling we're going to be like on the ground with that. A lot more um, battling with the people we already have first, and once they start like dying off, going away, whatever, then there's going to be room for Helen to come in as part of the rebuild effort. Oh, rebuild, West. okay, yeah. Are you of the mind like me, where you think that COVID and this quarantine, the pandemic <sighs> in general, has been great for the winds of winter? Just for George R. R. Martin to be kind of. Sad about the world, mad about the world, making this the dark and lethal book that it could be. He said, though, in his, I mean, we kind of got updates a little bit on his writing progress, which mm-hmm. is basically mm-hmm. the same that it's been. So maybe he's got some more. This ain't about progress. I'm not. I, I'm not oh, talking about it. progress. I'm, I got I'm one thinking about mind. the content of the Winds Winter. Um, the vibe. We we read that. We read that blog post in a, a recent episode, um, and I know that you've read it because we've mm-hmm. we've talked about or at least shared it with each other over text. Right. To me, it seems like this is the this is the best case scenario for that. I know it's terrible for all of us to have to suffer through it in the world, but I don't want the winds of winter to be soft. I want it to have teeth. I want right. to have real teeth, and I feel like he needed to go through some trauma. He needed to go through some trauma <laughs> to get to darkness. I want him to pull out of the ether the guts of the of what's available to our collective consciousness, the worst part of it, and give it to us in a bleak environment north of the wall. Quite possibly. I mean, I think he's had a lot more winds written out than than. Some other people do. I'm, you know, I hang on to that hope and that he's mostly done rewriting and editing. So I think he could have definitely taken some of these dark moments and like through his edits, like grizzled it up more. Okay. Um, I think Dream of Spring, I think if anything comes out of this, that Dream of Spring is going to be much more hopeful. Okay. Because that's what we all want right now. Um, that's what he, George has said in the past that he thinks a lot of sci-fi and fantasy being written now is missing is the hope. Um, he's, he's lost a lot of his close friends over the last year. Um, that's taken a bit of a toll on him as one can imagine. I think, yeah. So I think we'll see a stronger side of the hope and rebuild at the end. But I could be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> I hope so. That would be cool. I just don't know how we're going to get it finished out in two books. Well, that – sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. No, well, I was, was just a gasp. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say that's kind of – that is the question I think about all the time as we're staring down the end of Dance of Dragons because there's so many randos involved at this mm-hmm. point still mm-hmm. that may or may not be playing this important role that may or may not matter. And so – 
not to kind of bring it back to the chapter a little bit, but when we're talking about people like the Tattered Prince and we're talking about people like Dorne and what they've got going on and we're thinking about Daenerys and her ultimate goal, Daenerys is obviously the main character. And this is the, right. this is the problem that I always have and this is like my own pessimistic view, but it's like Daenerys is the main character and the main guy. So cool. I mean, I know that we need to enrich and enlighten a lot of the story along the way and all of the different moving pieces makes it much more interesting. And that's why it's this great high fantasy and I love Mm -hmm. it. But, you know, that's reading Quentin's whole story arc the whole time. It's like, okay, well, this is cool and great and written really well. And now as we're talking about the dragons are released, that's a really important plot point. That's going to make a huge difference when we're talking about the battle that's coming up, when we're talking about, you know, the ability to kind of see the dragons through somebody else's eyes other than Daenerys and kind of have this like very tragic moment happen with them, I think is important for the story overall. But how do we, how does he get out of, and (laughs) his own, he wrote himself into a hole here. And so him kind of getting out, going back to Quentin being gone for good. I mean, that's just like another one checked off the list. No disrespect, but Mm -hmm. checked off the list. He's done what he has needed to do. We move on. And now we can, whittle down until we get to like the real meat of what's actually happening here at the end game which is we now have these fearsome beasts that are flying around in the middle of this battle we've got um this dragon binder horn in the mix Mm -hmm. somewhere we have daenerys who's mia you know all these different things we can continue on this momentum towards the eventual last two books and whatever wrapping up that needs to happen, but there's just a lot to tease out still. And so let's lay to rest the pieces that actually are done that we don't need anymore. Like Mm -hmm. Quentin's plotline. Right. Right. I would say. Yeah. I don't see any benefit to having Quentin like pop up. Surprise. What is he going to do? Going to be like, I wish I kissed that girl back. I, (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's Ron, you're on your Ron Woods are so attractive. Yeah. It's like I feel like if <laughs> I feel like if Quentin popped up alive later, that would just like retie the Miranese knots. Yeah, Maybe we don't not, need this. Right. We don't need it. Like let him go home and just well, I mean he's dead, but like right. let him go home and, and, and kiss those Fowler all twins. Those girls. Yeah. yeah, kiss all those girls. <laughs> and read those books that he wants to read and just like live his life. I get it. He has such a romantic view of what's possible. It's. I wonder why he's put himself in this position. No, it'd be a better question. Why his dad put him himself in this position? And I wanted to read. He didn't this have quote. to do it. He felt as though he might be sick. So this is. They're at the door. Go for and it. And they get rid of the four brazen beasts, and there's blood pooling around his feet. And he says he felt as though he might be sick. Yeah. After he's been, like, almost peeing his pants this whole time. He needed to shit the whole time. Yes. That's what we haven't talked about that yet. (laughs) He felt as though he might be sick. What am I doing here? Father, why? Four men dead. (laughs) Do you want to talk about that more before? (laughs) What's more to say? I feel like Leech had something to say. She's like, just like in Sand Kings. What George, George is yeah. the baddest with his, his poop jokes as Roger Zelazny is. But anyway, go ahead. So he's it's real. It's really real. The the hammer spike went into the, the brain of the main uh of the basilisk face dude. And he's like, Okay, this is too real. 
I was just setting you back up. Oh, thank you. I was like, where? What are you? Where are we going now? <laughs> I'm, I'm quiet. <laughs> the sergeant. This quote isn't the, good the enough. The sergeant is dead. Some the, locusts are dead. <laughs> he felt as though he might be sick. What am I doing here, Father? Why? Four men dead and as many heartbeats. And for what? Fire and blood. He whispered. Blood and fire. The blood was pooling at his feet, soaking under the brick floor. Yeah. The fire was beyond those doors. And then they get into this whole thing. Remember in this chapter when he literally said, this will be my grand adventure. And then Garrus is like, most people die on grand adventures. Right. Or somebody says, you're yeah, going to die. I think it is gay. I think yeah. it is Garrus that says that. If I can sort of elaborate a little bit more Please. on the quote that you were just saying. Um, this is, and I've kind of thought this for a long time. Um that Quentin doing this, especially when he's talking about this big iron door, a brass and iron door, and um, there's fire behind the doors. It's like pounded in a little, like it, you yes. can tell. Yeah. yeah, from the inside. Yeah. Oh, my God, that passage is so good. That is a little bit like his version of what I think the house with the red door is going to truly mean. That <laughs> I know I'm getting, I'm getting this furrowed yeah. eyebrows again. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> The, Go on. This the the house with the red door. Whether or not it's a real memory or a false memory or some dead, weirdly downloaded memory, you're um, on dead. It. He put it right in her brain. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> um. That's that really ultimately like when Danny when Danny currently in this current story just regardless of what her childhood was when she finds this so-called house with the red door again it's going to be essentially her her final death probably by dragon of some sort oh, or okay. fire of some yeah. sort yeah yeah um yeah i'm going to slip it in yes this happens in, in sand kings as well at the end um when you go and you find this house with the red door that's it's more like symbolic of your final ending your final death so i think to me that's what that chapter or i'm sorry not that chapter that section you just read that's what it means there's so much foreshadowing from him waking up in a fever dream to holding his hand over the flame to garris's burns that right he's going to he's this is it this is his final yeah yeah and um yeah, then that's and that's exactly what happens. He goes on, keeps charging on. He's going to be the hero. He's going to be the hero. Whoops, he's not the hero. And I love. I think that th- I love that comparison. And I hadn't ever really thought about this, but kind of like standing at the precipice of your destiny. And Daenerys is st- right there, kind of there on her own will, but also because she was put in this position right. by her pa- like her family position. Yes. This isn't necessarily yes. something she chose for herself, which I think is like a broader A Song of Ice and Fire theme in general of kids repenting for the sins of their parents. And so, you know, in some, I think in less of a pointed way, she also was kind of in this position because she was put here and brought up into being this thing. Yes. And Quentin is just like this very concentrated version of of that and asking that question as he's on the mm-hmm. downward spiral yep going to, he's literally <laughs> he's going into the pits and he, <laughs> yep and he's going yep yeah at some point he realized i'm in charge of this i have to tell them to get the meat i have to get the whip i have to move forward and deal with the dragons and i thought for once he was doing his job kind of well sadly enough in the midst of the belly of the beast i yes and yeah like we were set up to like sort of like root for him or like be on his side and then 
nope, there goes that rug. Sorry. But there was that point, though, when the first attack comes, when they're outside the door, and he gets pushed out of the way. Yeah. And he's like, I didn't even draw my sword. Yeah, no, he would have been dead. It would have went through Mm. his throat. He's like, I didn't even do anything. Mm -hmm. I just kind of sat here, basically, which I think was interesting. As we're talking about, we're supposed to be rooting for him. He's just like very much the underdog going into this. It's that game element. He doesn't want to be here. Where it feels like he's been playing the tale the whole time and now he's coming face to face with needing to actually carry out violence and seeing someone dying in front of him and it's way less cool and right, right. charming and adventurous sounding. Bad it smells and it's bad. scary and yeah. your friends are dying and he he sees Rhaegal and he's just trying to be brave and yell out to him and it gets caught in his throat and he's like, <laughs> frog, I'm turning into frog again. I mean, he's just... You feel sad? I feel sad for the guy. I thought he was doing good, though. He was thinking about the... He he did the, the one thing right, which is learning from your experience and applying that those successes to other parts of your life and other things that you're coming in contact with. He was thinking about how they create a more docile cobra or snake when they're dealing with uh, snakes and Dorn and how mm-hmm. they, when they overfeed them, they begin to act slow. That's the building blocks that he needed to do to get to those points. And it was just a little bit too late. Yeah, because then he, yeah, yeah. I won't say that that's also a Sand King's reference. It is, but I'm just not going to say it. The right food now. thing? I think that you should because <laughs> I, that's, yeah. that's the Please. vibe. Bring on all the references. You're the expert this over is, here. This is a Sand I read King Sand Kings once, like years ago, and I Dragon forgot. Dragon that's podcast. it. Right. And that's usually, that's usually the response I hear is like, yeah, I read Sand, Sand Kings once, like years ago. And. Uh, yeah, you read it again, and then you read this chapter, and you're like, oh, my God, this is okay. A Sand lot of Kings things gave me nightmares. I'm not reading it again. Mm, interesting. <laughs> <This is> the reality. <laughs> but you, you you, legitimately like that he repurposes the scaffolding that he's built before. He's got all these chapters mm-hmm. to write. He's already got so many ambitious ideas. He's like, well, let me just take that and put it here. You think right. it's cool. Right. Oh, cool. Well, it's his style. Like, yeah. it's yeah. his signature. You, like, you see it in music all the time. So why not in literature? That's so true. Part of me wants a complete novel experience and being able to see and understand, just like in this chapter, they say how the, uh, uh, who, what is it? The the baker makes the pie. Like, don't ask don't the baker ask. how he made the pie. Right, right. Just enjoy the pie. Right. Was that the quote? Enjoy it or eat, eat it? Eat it. Oh, I like that. Eat it. That's my, the moral of my story today. Just yeah, eat it. Yeah, that's it's kind of it's kind of like that. I could just eat it and enjoy it. You're you're a a, a dedicated fan of all of this stuff. And <laughs> so if anyone is going to be if anyone is going to be underwhelmed by it, anything that he brings back, you're going to notice it and you're going to see it and you like it. You're like I love eating it. Oh, I, yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I am man, I am lord too fat to sit a horse with that big old wagon wheel pie in front of me. I'm like give it all. Right on. Like yes. Every bit of it. <laughs> well, then I'm going to read this quote about that door then and you will enjoy it. Here we go. At last a pair of heavy iron doors rose before them. Rust-eaten and forbidding, closed with a length of chain whose every link was as thick around as a man's arm. That's a huge chain. The size and thickness of those doors was enough to make Quentin Martell, just the size and the thickness of the doors, was enough to make Quentin Martell question the wisdom of this course. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Even worse, both doors were plainly dented by something inside trying to get out. The thick iron was cracked and splitting in three places, and the upper corner of the left-hand door looked partly melted. I have a question yeah. that I should know the answer to. He saw the dragons. Yes. Yeah, he, he did. Like, he physically, he was, it, what, Daenerys brought him down there and showed him the dragons. Mm-hmm. He didn't see it, 
like from behind the door or like in chat like he saw right mm-hmm. i'm remembering that yeah. correctly right so then yes. why is everybody so surprised that they're as wild as they are when they get down there like why didn't he tell them guys that <laughs> cart is too small or yeah why didn't he guys, honestly yeah they're actually real i guess it's because we he was seeing them through daenerys's perspective and mm-hmm. he saw the way she handles him yeah. in their presence in her presence and yeah. so he thought that they were just kind of nice That's i mean really not question. nice but you know what he, i mean he probably thought he could bring them like a duck squeaky toy and they <laughs> <Right>. would like <laughs> like you did for strike and they would immediately <laughs> and it just it didn't work the right. squeaker didn't work and um <laughs> Your plan still played out really nicely, though, so <laughs> I don't know what that means for for him. Anyone opposed to me reading a uh, dragon description just because it's so cool? Go off. Go for it. Rhaegal. Bronze they were, brighter, this is talking about his eyes, brighter than polished shields, glowing with their own heat, burning behind. This has got to be some of the best dragon. Description. Just, I mean, yeah, for lack yeah. of a better word. Just dragon writing okay. that I've read. And also... We're going to get to that, but the fire mm. and like how, how that fire reacts almost like an infected flesh with mm. the with the <laughs> flame shooting through it. Oh, it's so good. Bronze they were, brighter than polished shields, glowing with their own heat, burning behind a veil of smoke rising from the dragon's nostrils. The light of Quentin's torch washed over scales of dark green, the green of moss in the deep of woods at dusk, just before the last light fades. That deserves to be in live journal. (laughs) (laughs) Then the dragon opened its mouth and light and heat washed over them. Behind a fence of sharp black teeth, he glimpsed the furnace glow, the shimmer of a sleeping fire a hundred times brighter than his torch. Before he even did anything. Just just emanating from it. And so, Leech, you think that it's nuclear energy. I want to get to that. Okay. The dragon's head was larger than a horse's and the neck stretched on and on uncoiling like some great green serpent as the head rose until those glowing bronze eyes were staring down at him whoa while we get to leech's point that i also want to get to we'll pass it off and go down the row of the table (laughs) i just want to like make a small i really like how we get to see the dragons in this deadly fierce situation because i feel like thus far for the majority of the time we've really just seen them as like quentin saw them Daenerys's little pets yeah and we get her inner monologue of how important it is that she tames them and handles them and dragons we don't know a lot about them and we get a lot of this lore and da 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 and we see some of their power but we don't see their terror like we do here and I think that that's a cool reminder to be like hey these things are legit these things aren't cool <laughs> cute pets this these this is a struggle these are real threats to and now they're loose. And so I like that we get that. They're not loose from Daenerys's perspective where it's like, oh, her cute pets are out on, out flying around and we love to see it because like we love to see them fly. Right. It's like these fearsome beasts are shouldering and plundering their way through all this wild stuff that's happening. In like Quentin's storyline becoming a catalyst for all these other events to take place just they could do that times 50 wherever they go unless they're taken down what they could change with just the what Daenerys has been holding safe for so long now that they're out is crazy I'm gonna keep reading this dragon stuff sorry guys Rhaegal took it in this is when uh, he noticed Rhaegal uh, when he was feeding Rhaegal sorry it's got the fire description this is worth hearing Rhaegal took it in the air his head snapped around 
and from between his jaws, a lance of flame erupted. A swirling storm of orange and yellow fire shot through with veins of green. The sheep was burning before it began to fall. Before the smoking carcass could strike the bricks, the dragon's teeth closed around it. A nimbus of flame still flickered about the body. The air stank of burning wool and brimstone. Dragon stink. Someone's going to get called that before this, the <laughs> books are done. <laughs> Someone in Westeros. And uh, there's there's this a paragraph about Viserion. I could just get this out of the way. Viserion launched himself from the ceiling, pale leather wings unfolding, spreading wide. The broken chain dangling from his neck swung wildly. His flame lit the pit. Pale gold shot through with red and orange. I mean, that's cool. Pale gold flames with red and orange, I guess just on the inside from like the deepest part of his lungs or wherever it's coming from. And the stale air exploded in a cloud of hot ash and sulfur as the white wings beat and beat again. And he dug a cave or I guess. Right. Inside a building. They, they dug a cave. Yeah. Right. In the roof of the, of the pit. Can we just acknowledge that this whole time, and I love the very beginning of it. I don't think I saved a, a passage for, uh, at the beginning of this chapter. But this whole time, they're on a mission to infiltrate a pyramid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're in a pyramid trying to make dragons escape, mm-hmm. trying to take dragons for their own. I just, I don't know. I like that. It's just, when you think about it in context with, with a lot of the other happenstances, events in A Song of Ice and Fire, this is among some of the most most mythical seeming and high fantasy oh, seeming, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we're not just on a muddy path somewhere in a no. wagon, you know, talking about like people that live in a village across the water. We're in a pyramid stealing dragons. Right. It's cool. Yeah. That is part of the pyramid the whole pyramid thing with with the fireworms, dragons, things things like that living in a pit. That is Absolutely, it's part of his own mythos that he is um, that he has created. That you know, evidently, it brings him joy to tell stories. You oh, know, yeah. with these elements, it must have been so exciting to make it here, and it's uh, almost self-editing, self, self holding its own complete self enjoyment out of it by him having to tell it in the way that you were just talking about, Hannah, giving us more perspective on these dragons. Finally. Right, but through Quentin, out of all people, it could be it could be Danny, it could be mm-hmm. it could be anyone, it could be Tyrion, who is going to truly appreciate it. But it's through Quentin, mm-hmm. hmm. and he's probably dead too. And if I can um, just you can do whatever you want, <laughs> <laughs> I read all those paragraphs <laughs> as the build up for what you're going to say next. Well, it's it's just to add on a little bit more to the uh, the dragon description here is. Like when Quent is going into here, he calls it, you know, the the Stygian darkness. Oh yeah, which is straight from Lovecraft, and that's not the only place that George has added the Lovecraft. Um, there's Stygai, there's Ashai, Ashai by the Shadow. Euron has a lot of like Lovecraft existential horror to him. So it's yeah, it's um, this is some of the the best dragon. Um, works ev- that I've come across because you you can like smell it and feel see it. it and feel it. Yeah. It's gross. Right. It is, but yeah. also beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's it's gross and kind of mean, as in small, but also like we said, very high fantasy grounded within it. It's almost encapsulated. It almost encapsulates the thematic approach of him and the Song of Ice and Fire in general. Right. In that, in that one exchange of moments. 
in the belly of the beast and the belly of the beast being something that again is so seemingly unassuming until we get to that door and i've read that description and i can see almost the the faces like souls trying to get out of a out of a, a vortex. Yeah. Those, the dragons trying to get out of that, that door. Yeah. It doesn't say if that, does, did it say if, the, if it was the dragons trying to get out? What if it was like people no, it, trying to get out? It didn't. Oh, wow. But yeah. How, how could they be strong enough to do it? But yeah. yeah I'm, imagine, a, imagine. They're driven by fear. No, right, it's right. probably so the dragons, adrenaline. but just imagine if it, like how horrible that would be if it was like people trying to get out. That they fed to them maybe. <sighs> wow. I can't. Just throw them in there. Well, I want to talk more about your fire thing that you mentioned. The, about the sort of nuclear fire. energy? Yeah, the energy, beca- as you're describing earlier when you're reading kind of the behind Regal's, as his mouth is open, this wildness that we see inside, your theory about that, what that energy is, I think is pretty interesting. Do you think that it's maybe potentially linked to the source of magical power within the planet and maybe that this creature has been able to be birthed within some kind of a maybe um, proximity to that sort of emanating from a a part of the world or do you think that maybe it's a uh, descendant of a more ancient being that encapsulated even stronger than a dragon i'm just trying to think of like the the source of the potential source of where this could come from it seems that the function of being able to emanate energy like they do so mm-hmm. powerfully, it seems like it's it's coming from a place that a shadow baby would come from and not just a simple sparking of a flint and then igniting with some kind of a fuel. I don't know. You were talking about nuclear energy and there's got to be like a stabilizer and a source of supplying that power to that thing as much as I understand it, I have no idea, truly. <laughs> just uh, anecdotally, it seems like that's how it works. So if he's thought everything else through so completely, do you think that he has a similar approach to whatever power is coming from within the body of these dragons? Mm, possibly. Um, I don't know that even if he does, that he'd ever give us the answer. Hmm. Um it's I have a I have a little mini rant online somewhere um, where one of the other fun things writing all this stuff is fun for him. So one of the other fun things that uh, George makes connections between is his love of cars and dragons. Their their vehicle. There's another another story Armageddon rag daydream is the name of the car and it's this bronze beast and he goes on and on and on about the engine. So um, I think aside from being like vessels or vehicles or something like that, I think this is how he's kind of having fun with it. Um, And in fever dream, the ship is called, well, first it's called the fever dream. And then it goes through this, it morphs into um, when this black and red, um, antagonist villain comes on. It changes his name to Ozymandias, and that's when the that's when the um, not engines, but the the burners change, and and they become like new, almost like nuclear, and they start consuming humans instead of just the regular trees. And um, <laughs> one of the reasons why I keep mentioning nu- nuclear is, yeah, the the night flyer ship that's the name of the ship which is also one of the ships that euron ends up 
no. adding to his, yeah, that ends up adding to his his fleet somehow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like these really small nods that if you know these stories, you're like, oh, my They're God. They're pretty powerful. Yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, my God, that's really important. Um, but that ship um, is described as having, like, nuclear engines. You know, that's that's what it is. And then there's the quote by George that says, um, there is magic in my universe, but it's pretty low magic compared to other fantasies. Dragons are the nuclear deterrent, and only Danny has them, which in some ways makes her the most powerful person in the world. But is that sufficient? There are the kind of issues, these are the, sorry, these are the kind of issues I'm trying to explore. And then he goes on to talk about the U.S. You know, we have the ability to destroy um, with our nuclear arsenal, but that doesn't mean that we can achieve specific geopolitical goals. Um, you can have the power to destroy, but it doesn't give you the power to reform, improve, or build. So um, I think that's, it's dragons, a car, a night flyer ship, mm-hmm. the Ozymandias, like these are all like um, analogs for people who have power mm-hmm. and um like the ultimate source of power, not just the control, like the whip was a control, but like the, the ultimate um, vessel. Right. Like that where it feeds into. Right. So, and I think the different colors that we have now with the dragons, their, their flame in particular, kind of goes along with some of the other repeating color schemes that we have. Um, and all feeds like the trident, you have the red, the blue and the green and we have red fire in the story we have blue ice fire in the story and then the green fire is the um the green seers the nature um the air quotes legit rulers of westeros they're not either of the it's it's not either of the two extremes um and regal having green fire to me and Quent getting burned by the green fire and knowing that Dorne wants the control, the power, the throne. Mm-hmm. It it's kind of like a, a trickle down um, design that George, you know, he's following this trail. So I think there's a little bit more symbolism in the color of the fire than okay. as opposed to like the mechanics of how it works. Um, but on my that little, makes sense. yeah, on my <laughs> online rant, one of the things I was joking about is like how and where the fire comes out, and they're basically like twin turbos. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was a really long, boring answer. I'm, I don't even know if I answered. I'm glad question. you no, came you around 100%. to you, that. Yeah. Was very you're like a pro. You, you came all the way back around and reminded me what I was supposed to be thinking of <laughs> oh, in the okay, first place. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Totally. Well, it, I was kind of also thinking about as we we're thinking about kind of how that holds the power going back to that power has been unleashed and that power is now seemingly has no owner, quote unquote, mm-hmm. because Daenerys right. is MIA right now. Right. And so we just have this thing that we now better understand what it really is. And with all of these comparisons, as you're talking about, we've seen in other texts is now just flying around above this already very volatile situation mm-hmm. that so we've volatile. got happening in Marine. We could get a scene where Barristan is back-to-back with Vic fighting evil together. That's oh, yeah. how volatile this scene is, <laughs> where that could happen, and they could right. like each other for a moment. 
you could get one of those cheesy moments where in a TV show or in a movie where you get that payoff where a character that doesn't really know a character gets to say something to a character or like a Lord of the Rings, not the beard kind of moment. Right. We could get that in the book, but probably not directly. Probably just like, like in this where we're in the pyramid and this is mythical and these are dragons, but it's just happening and we're supposed to zoom out ourselves and give it its own contextual importance. Mm-hmm. Of how but cool this it is. is also happening in very close conjunction with Barristan's whole plot to it's happening at the same time yeah, as right. he's dealing with his dar and we get that in the previous chapter and that moment when they're like the dragons are loose and then we go into this whole thing um so we're in real time entwined and there's theories and discussion about you know how involved some of these guards are and kind of who they're yeah, part of yeah, and what yeah. pieces that they're playing in but i mean and we don't even need to zoom out very far to see how much this is in intertwined with kind of the chaos that's starting to crack and unfold that we've slowly been kind of marching our way towards right at the end of dance yeah and it's this scene or this chapter and the the final scene doesn't in a way doesn't even really end here because it does it, it carries on into barrison's chapter after this where they sort of go back and talk about this mm-hmm. and then you've got the green grace that's in there mm-hmm. and um tattered prince is mentioned again you know yeah so it's um part of that knot <laughs> can we talk about the tattered prince and mm-hmm. kind of i would love because zach and i have talked about it quite a bit on the podcast but would love to kind of get your take on what you see his role as in the future and him as his character i think there's a lot of questions about his motives and who, what, he is. who he is and what he might end up playing. Curious about your thoughts on him. Um, the Tattered Prince is – I don't have a <clears> – excuse me. I don't have a, a ton of thoughts about the Tattered Prince. I don't know how long he's going to last. Like he might – I don't know if he'll outlive the winds of winter. Hmm. Um, he might be another one of these like – this is going to sound terrible, like one of these other stepping stones together to get other people. Like a mini boss. Right. To get other people going. Um, he's always had a bit of a um, Mance Raider element to me a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, sort of like that opposite parallel where Mance wants to get into Winterfell and do all this stuff. And he has his spear wives. Um, Tattered Prince wants pentos and he has his little like mini army around him you know and he's politically manipulating situations and um even their you know cloaks you know he's mance with his striped cloak you know red and slashed cloak and then tattered prince with his and, and what it means to them um he to me is a skinner archetype that is something that is used in Ice and Fire, but also part of the bigger Martin world um, idea. Um, Ramsey has one of his boys is named the Skinner, um, but the Skinner itself comes from um, what's the the werewolf story? Um, the skin trade, and it is it's again back to that cloak. He, it's about like impersonating somebody else, like taking the, their skin. 
like low key skin changing type of thing or face changing, you know, pretending to be somebody else. Um, and that's also like Gray Alice from In the Lost Lands. And um, he is there. He's a fiery person. He's there to do things for himself, which is why I think he's not going to last very long. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to get to Pentos. Um, at some point, Illyrio's fingers are going to be cut off and somebody's going to take his rings. Whether, yeah. um, you know, that's Tyrion set that up pretty well in one of his chapters. So, and I don't know if they're going, I don't know. And I have a feeling he and Tyrion are both going to be there. I don't know if that's going to be with or without Danny at that point. Right, um, right. It'll be through Tyrion's perspective. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he's he's reaching really high for something and he's going to he's going to fail. So, he's interesting to me and he's definitely one to watch. We're going to get a lot of action out of him, mm-hmm. but I don't know that he's going to really last too long. Mm-hmm. He might have he might be somebody from Westeros in secret. I know there're theories out right, there right. that he's I don't know I don't know how important that's going to be. Yeah, I was um, going to ask if you thought it mattered at all. Right. I don't. Yeah, I don't know how important that's going to be because I don't know that he's even going to get back to Westeros to make to to make a difference in it. Um, Would it just be further icing, like uh, informing how he was able to be so effective? If we learned that he was from, say, the Targaryen family, and like, mm-hmm. of course he would be this effective because he's this person. And isn't it interesting that this offshoot of this branch decided to make such an impact out east like the rest of them as well. Right. And there's there's little things in the in the histories that George has written that I think we're going to see that he, you know he's kind of sprinkled in there as um things we're going to see in the future if Tattered Prince is somebody from a Lannister line, let's just say. There's that thing about Lannister gold bringing down the dragons before, so we could see some sort of spin on that. Um but um yeah, I and I cuz I think even if they get there before Danny, um I think Danny's going to go back to Pentos anyway, back mm-hmm. to, specifically back to Caldrogo's manse. There's an important mm. element about Danny now being a Khaleesi, mm-hmm. the first Khaleesi, you know, she's now the ruler and, you know, going back to Caldrogo's manse, back to where it started. Um so I kind of think this maybe whatever happens to Tatter Prince might also happen to Mance. Okay. So I think, in my opinion, those are two to like watch and like sort of balance off of each other to see if, you know, how that goes. Kind of in terms of, oh, you. I was just going to agree. Right. Like in terms of just like this building action. These are like right. players that are kind of swirling in this building action around. Daenerys' right. ultimate storyline to then get yeah. to Westeros. Yeah, kind these of thing. are these are pawns and players. In yeah, this huge game of chess. Totally. So um, you have to sacrifice some of them to get your queen where she needs to be. Right. So right. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. I don't remember what we thought about the Tatter Prince. <laughs> what did we think about that? Lots of things, I guess, <laughs> but pretty much exactly what you just said. Yeah. I figured that he would. That he might. 
not die and just sort of be a fixture, a new fixture within all of the chaos. My, my main thoughts on him was just he was an opportunist that could yeah. see the winds uh, changing and was chaos like, "This is a, a this is a great time to climb that ladder." Yeah, absolutely, a wonderful time. <laughs> absolutely. Do you think that they will stop in Pintos before or after Volantis? I see these these free cities and these plot points mm-hmm. involving the free cities, mm-hmm. people like the Tatter Prince, mm-hmm. his whole ilk, Bloodbeard, etc., as sort of the 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 transition between Essos and full Westeros with yeah. all of these characters. Right. Yeah. I don't see that's what I'm not I see it going one of two ways. Either like Tyrion and Barristan, maybe possibly, or somebody like leaving and going back to Pentos on their own, and Danny meets them there, or they all wait essentially, you know, wait in Marine until Danny shows back up, which apparently is not going to be for most of the book. Um, wow. Yeah. So she's That's wild. Yeah. So she could go to Volantis on her own mm-hmm. and then over what? to. <laughs> <laughs> and then over to meet them in Penta. I don't know. These are just two different options. Like right. either they all meet back in Marine and all go together to these different areas. Um, or they split and meet up in Pentos and they leave from Pentos back to Westeros together. Together as a group. Right. Got it. And Daenerys wow. continues to kind of be on her little journey to kind of right. figure her, her right. little. She, to me, is sort of retracing what old – the the tracks that old Valyrians did. Mm, mm-hmm. So she's, okay. I think that's why I kind of think she may or may not be doing some things on her own first before meeting her group. Sure, that might make that would make sense. But again, guesses. I don't know. <laughs> it's all just guesses. <laughs> play, the, play the Valyrian High Road by Kesha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So that's going to be crazy. I'm just thinking about that. I want to speculate that. I want a whole new episode of just having a conversation about that. That is, that would be so beautiful if what we saw with the Triarch and everything that's that's happening there to be not disrupted by the whole company, but by her and Drogon alone, this newly established Psylink. Yes. I mean, talk about, talk about the scale matching the story and coming back home with some stories to tell and some newfound confidence to go back east after that and maybe even have new troops, but definitely have... More experience f- with people that believe that you're Azorai because they will be there, and also more of a an agenda because now you've done even more, like uh, freeing of people and more of taking down power structures that you feel like don't need to exist, right? But all by yourself. Yes. Whoa. I yeah. Whoa. I wouldn't be surprised if. We saw it like that. So, I, haven't any, I haven't heard anybody talk about that before. That's very exciting. But I also don't read every Reddit post. That could be a thing. Oh, I'm not in Reddit, so I don't know what they're saying there. <laughs> right so it's sometimes I'm in my own little hole and I have no idea what anybody's saying. So that's the best place to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's figure it out for yourself. Yeah, I think when she goes to Volantis, she's definitely she's going to have not only like. Like like new mobile new new mobiles or new warriors, but they're also going to be the religious type. So yeah, and they believe in her specifically. Yes, and even better unsullied. Yes, and so at first that kind of seems really cool, but if you kind of think back to how George is 
building this based on his other yeah, stories. Gonna, they're going to be zealots for right. against people that we love, against right. normal yeah. people. There's a yeah, there's a price to pay for right. every action for so. sure, and for every cool aspect of someone's group. Absolutely, all those tattooed people when they're ransacking places that we know and care about. Right. Whoa. So it's yeah. So I mean yeah, imagine like. Tyrion and the Tattered Prince, like, sitting in Pentos waiting for her. And then she shows up on Dragonback. They, they're they still not sure if she's alive or not because they haven't seen her yet. She shows up on Dragonback and with this army, this, you know, all of these. I love that. Foot soldiers. So, yeah. well, even if they do meet there and she splits and goes, like, still her showing up on Dragonback. Is with, still par- pretty powerful. Right. So yeah. does Makoro wait for her in Marine? Or meet her randomly later. I just, I always sort of saw them as going to be an interesting, con- uh, not conglomeration, but uh, I guess just meeting of the two things. Right. Is, is that going to happen? Do you think if if she's already going out to the source of where he's from, I feel like that that meeting will be less impactful then. Of, between Makoro and her would be less if she's already out doing oh, stuff think, with Red Priest. I, I think, yeah, I think they will definitely at some point. So. Um. Might even be like after Victorian is gone or something like that. Or, what? Or, Victorian gone? I know. What are you talking about? Because he's going to blow the horn and he's going to die. Oh, man. I don't know for sure. But uh. What do you think about that? About the horn and Victorian? Oh, gonna, God. Do you think he's going to kill that's himself like with a it? Whole, that's a whole other podcast. Episode. Good. Good. <laughs> I think they're very short. I think he might blow it and burn and die or somebody else will or won't. But I think one of the reasons why Danny was able to make why she is the unburned is she's going to be able to blow it. And that is what is going to call her armies together. And that's going to be um, the end of Victorian, whatever. But that's where Danny's like all of her stuff is going to come together. It's like another catalyst point. Cause like we talk a lot about Victorian and make fun of him a lot because he's just kind of who he is, but it's like kind of the same thing as his demise and ending of his plot is another catalyst in yes. Daenerys's plot line right. to continue to propel her forward to Westeros. It's like another key, right? Key element to that. I like that. Owns. Shall we go to owns? I'm oh. not sure if I know how to do owns correctly. <laughs> Oh yeah, do we? We didn't I, do Owens in your last I'm episode. Maybe it's because I'm old and I don't understand this. When okay, you, there's nothing to understand. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm being put on the spot here. Now you have to explain the to show to someone. Uh. Owens are whatever. I feel like Zach and I have different views of what owns are. Like we t- in owns is whatever part of the book you liked from that chapter, whether it's a uh, like a line that you thought was funny or a really powerful paragraph or sometimes on my case stuff you forgot to talk about in the episode that you want to make sure it gets slipped in, you know. That's, don't don't that's ask the it. baker how you made the pie. Yeah. Just eat it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. I think, yes, yeah, it's, it's whatever spoke to you the most, you know, that you would be like, you okay. know what, it could be a funny line. Usually Dollars Ed gives a lot of those, you know, but, or it could just be the, the implication of a moment. I've had some pretty esoteric ones in the past. I have like four today, so. Why don't you start us off then? Really? Yeah. Okay. Give it to us. Own one. The taste was sweet solace on his tongue, so he lit a candle and poured himself another. <laughs> Wine will help me sleep, he told himself, but he knew that was a lie. <laughs> we all know that. And you're like, do I need another Diet Coke? Or do I need <laughs> another day. slice of pizza? Well, and then later, he's like, stop drinking. 
Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, a bit. Not not really fair because like you don't know they're gonna live through it. Let them have some wine. Um, own two. <clears throat> this is a different kind of own. This is kind of the gamut of owns. <laughs> they call them graces. They come in different colors. The red ones are the only ones who fuck. Garris seated himself across the table. The septas back home should take up the custom, if you ask me. Have you noticed the old that old septas look always always look like prunes? That's what a life of chastity will do to you. Rude. <laughs> but funny really funny he's like he's got just so much pent up inside of him that he was able to unleash it in, in a moment's notice oh what else do i have own three how did you learn their word we chanced upon some brazen beasts and maris asked them prettily but a prince should know better than to pose such questions dornish in pentos we have a saying never ask the baker who went to the pie just to, okay <laughs> we've been talking about that obviously i forgot my owns uh might have just been three um. Yeah, I think it was just those three. So those are ones. Leash, do you want to go or do you want me to go? Good luck following those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just packing up and leaving now. No, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, I have a Martin World own. Please, okay. Classic. <laughs> they may ask for a word. The tattered prince had warned them when he handed over the bundle. It's dog, dog. That is exactly what Simon Crest does in Sand Kings when things start to go crazy is he feeds a dog, a puppy what? to the Sand Kings. You should read the story. It's totally yeah, awesome. Listen, the next time I you keep... come on this podcast, I'm going to have all the books read. All of his books. I have them here. I'm going to read every single one of bring them. Bring them to the... So you can bring every them. reference you guys, that you, you have, can, you like, guys mm-hmm. can come over once. I have... Because there's like 80 stories. Just bring your dog and For sure. we'll hang out and just like read and like sounds like my dream right yeah <laughs> sounds like my i'm dream. gonna read every single of them leech i promise <laughs> you'll love sand kings i keep talking about like i don't remember any of it because i don't remember that much of it but that story i remember how i felt reading it which is powerful yeah. it's creepy and yeah. icky and gross Nightmares. Yeah. yeah cool you want to do yours um yeah i'm gonna give my own to kind of at the beginning of the chapter when Garrus, kind of like the you're talking about the graces and Garrus and Quentin, he's like, let's go to the uh, snuggeries. The snuggeries. <laughs> and you can release yourself, basically. Like let's like let's get our all of this out, tension out before we go. Let's go help them. Yeah. He's like, they could console me. We can console them. They feel lonely and neglected. And Quentin's like, they could console me is what you mean. And Garrus is like, that too. He's like, that's not the sort of consolation I require. And then Garrus says, I disagree. Daenerys Targaryen is not the only woman in the world. Do you want to die a man-made? Then this is my own. Quentin did not want to die at all. I want to go back to Yornwood and kiss both your sisters. Marry Gwyneth Yornwood and watch her flower into a beauty. Have a child by her. I want to ride in tourneys, hawk and hunt, visit my mother in Norvos, read some of those books my father sends me. I want Cletus and Will and Maester Kendry to be alive again. Do you think Daenerys would be pleased to hear that I had bedded some whore? And then it's like, she might be. Men may be <laughs> fond of maidens, but women like a man who knows <laughs> what he's about in the bedchamber. Ba-doom. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. I just, I love that whole exchange because Quentin is just an idiot, kind of, you know? Right. Yeah. And all he can think about this whole time is like, I just want to go home and I just want to read my books and talk to my mom. And I just like, why am I here doing this thing? And I'm talking about marrying Daenerys for love, but I don't even want to put in the work to make sure I'm at the top of my game. Right. Yeah. So on to, on to uh, Gwyneth Yornwood. 
for me. I just want to kiss your sisters. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Why don't you just kiss him? He's right there. (laughs) (laughs) So those are our owns. Hi, everyone. I'm going to interrupt the flow of the show to read you a few owns. We recorded this episode ahead of schedule and we didn't want to miss these owns. Sorry about the background noise. Okay. An own from the fattest leech. That's funny. Leech, you have two owns now. Can I do an own? Own to Quint, yet another failed cart king. You tried your best. Cheers emoji. A tweet from Mike McCann, who also sent an email. He says, whoop, whoop. I guess this isn't an own, but it's more of an update. Thought y'all would like to know about it. Whoop, whoop. If I'm honest, I've just eaten a massive pie and I'm too tired to read tonight. We'll read tomorrow before work and send owns via email as usual. Thanks for that update, Mike. Hope the pie was good. And from Straight Savage Cole, my own goes to the foreshadowing at the beginning of the chapter of Quentin burning his hand on the candle on his stomach, going on a roller coaster ride before the doors to the dragon pit were even opened, and his general uncertainty of the entire plan culminating with the fire spit of Rhaegal leaving nothing but the stench of dragon stink. And Mike's email. He describes the chapter which we would normally read but hannah's not here so i'm just going to cut right to the chase thanks for your emails though mike right my own goes to that whole passage when they were trying to find viserion literally sent chills down my spine that fear of knowing there's a dragon in the room you can't see was terrifying Rhaegal was chained to the wall and floor the last time i was here the prince recalled but viserion hung from the ceiling Quentin stepped back, lifted the torch, craned his neck back. For a moment, he saw only the blackened arches of the bricks above, scorched by dragon flame. A trickle of ash caught his eye. Betraying movement, something pale, half-hidden, stirring. He's made himself a cave, the prince realized, a burrow in the brick. The foundations of the Great Pyramid of Marine were massive and thick to support the weight of the huge structure overhead. Even the interior walls were three times thicker than any castle's curtain walls. But Viserion had dug himself a hole in them with flame and claw, a hole big enough to sleep in. And we've just woken him up. Wow. Just wow. Thanks again for reading, Mike from, Eng- Mike from England. Thanks again for your email, Mike, and thanks to all of you who are sending in owns this deep in the series. I guess I'll now uh, return us to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks again. If you want to send in your yeah. own, you can do that in a couple different ways. You can send us an email to so contact at gameofowns.com. You can follow us on social media. You can tweet at us. You can send us an Instagram at Game of Owns. Our OnlyFans, Game of Owns. <laughs> go, to, go ahead, Barl. You'll find it. Just keep looking. <laughs> um, what else we got? Uh, let's let's talk. Let's do. Let's plug your stuff. Yeah, give us a rundown. Oh. Leech is live streaming now. The world is better for it. Yes, sort of. It's sort of like scraggle streaming. <laughs> you're getting your feet under you. <laughs> you're getting your feet under you with like that part. But you go. You're you know your stuff. Uh, the world needs it. I, I love when you go live and it looks like a you. You're in the like a. What you're researching is books. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. People have labs and they have all these different Kyber-esque settings around them, right? Mm-hmm. And all of your stuff is more books. You have like the books for the more books. I like it. Oh, yeah. That's, 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 that is, that's my desk. That's where I work. And I have bookcases upstairs all over the place, but it's like those have become like my workbooks now. So they, they sit there at my desk. And um, yeah, 
it's it's not pretty. I just sometimes I haven't even showered when I try to do this stuff. I'm like, let's just talk about <laughs> this, please. <laughs> it's on my mind. It's on my let's mind. Go. Can we just get going? <laughs> Where can people find that? Where can people join in? Um, I'm trying to link information all over the place. So, like, if you go to my blog, which is fattestleechificeandfire.com, you can also find live stream stuff um, either ahead of time or I'll update it if it's already been done. Uh, the Sand Kings one I did last week is under my book club tab. I have about, I think, 25 of George's stories transcribed with notes. Um, just started doing the live streaming part, so not all of them have videos. Or I'm on the twit hole. <laughs> <laughs> um, so evocative. I know. <laughs> or... Or um, j- just very recently on the YouTube thing, if you want to try to follow me there, um, all under the fattest leech. So it's um, should be fairly easy to find. So make sure you go check that out. If Tweet. you are not aware of all the different stuff we've talked about with leech, aka if you haven't listened to our Martin World episode from last year, go check it out because we have, uh, for example, your the origin story of your name. Th- those kinds of things if you're confused while we're calling you a blood-sucking creature yeah. <laughs> to bring my secrets out of me <laughs> um this has been really fun i had such a blast last year when we had you on the podcast and today was uh even better than that you guys are fantastic you make me feel very comfortable and even though i'm like sweating like a geyser right now and we're not in the most like comfortable <laughs> oh no not settings, at all so i'm glad that the vibe is at least good it's, yeah, for sure. it's absolutely perfect yeah <laughs> And uh, thanks for picking this chapter, too. This This was was really fun. This was good. Thank you for offering and um, listen to me ramble about cars and all sorts of other stuff as well. So, Oh, yeah. uh, Hannah's car is turbo. Nice. I got a new car. This is a story to tell after because you'll understand how much I sobbed when they said my other car was being totaled. (laughs) So anyway. (laughs) Leech Leech works on vehicles. I, I don't really know how to contextualize it. What would you say? You can just... You can just do cars like you do books, kind of. So, and you and you love turbos. I love. I you do. have to tell me what turbo that means because he said to me the other day, "Your car is turbo," and I said, "Okay." Me- <laughs> means you have extra boosts of. Essentially, it just means you have extra boost of power. So okay. it's There's a, it's a intake, performance. Right? It's a performance thing. Got so. it. Does the word intake come into play at all? Because I used that word. I was like, is a certain intake of something? When <laughs> well, I was you have to that? intake air. That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Pretty cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. So a jack of all trades, really. For right sure. Here. What One of the more it. interesting people I've met. And, uh, you know, super badass that you like a song of ice and fire. So we can have you on the podcast. And you're nearby. I am nearby. So we, yeah, can, we yeah. can have you here. We don't have to do it over Skype. This has been really fun. Uh, what else do we have? We have uh, iTunes uh, reviews. We You can hit up our Patreon, patreon.com slash goo. That's G-O-O. Um, wh- what were we talking about at the beginning of the show? Like a picture of something? I forget. Anyway, we post ago. extra stuff there. Yeah, that was, that was a long time ago. And uh, the next chapter, Hannah's pulling up a feastwithdragons.com right now. Oh, boy. You want to you wanna tell everyone what it's going to be? John 13. Great job on that Roman numeral. That's John 13, the chapter where... The chapter. Well, you know. Yeah. Yikes. You know. Okay. We also have a special <laughs> guest lined up for that podcast episode. So, everyone, I mean... It's happening. We're almost at the end of A Feast of Dragons. What are we going to do? Um, if you want to follow along on our reading order, you can find that at 
afeastwithdragons.com. Get caught up. I guess. That's it. That's it, I think everyone. We're done. Thank Let's you do guys this. for joining us. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Bye. Thanks for coming on. Bye. Bye. Yeah. That's so funny. You just said good job in reading the Roman numerals because I have to tape that up there. I'm like, because <laughs> <laughs> I always confuse my confuse uh, it did myself. I do it right? Yeah, yes. no, you did. I think I thought I saw you like counting. I did. How many ones? Okay. <laughs> I did. I counted them.